I'm trying to counter that with raw cookie dough. So we'll see how that works. Oh, just pure sugar, huh? Is yeah. It, and, and, and raw eggs. Is that... and the raw eggs are a bonus. <laughs> like a little E. coli. I'm just kidding. I, I eat cookie dough. Like Salmonella. Bonus, but... Thank you very much. Oh, sorry. Salmonella. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 361 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, today joined by Mr. Seth Miller. Hey, Seth. How you doing? I'm good. Happy uh, Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving, indeed. I haven't decided if I'm going to release this on Wednesday for the people who are going to be stuck in airports traveling. <laughs> like a little, a little, uh, a little... Uh, treat to get them through the, the doldrums. Indeed. Plus, I think, well, it's that or release it on Thursday so people have an excuse to escape from their families. <laughs> I thought that was what football was for. Not everybody's into sports. That's true. That's true. Not everyone's into sports, Paul. Okay. Um, we got some more follow-up, and you're, you're back from, from, I guess we should give the listeners a, a little bit of a warning, right? You you may uh, come across as uh, incoherent because of jet lag. M- more than usual. At least this time I have an excuse, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, two days back, or day two back from uh, Dubai in the Dubai Air Show, and the more I talk to people who are sort of getting back into international travel again, the more I try, I'm still trying to discover, did we all like, just were we all completely incoherent all the time historically, yeah. or did we all like just get so used to it that the time zones and the jet lag is just destroying me. This is my fourth or I think this is my 34th trip, you know, across multiple time zones so far uh, since like August. And I'm struggling to get back. So were the previous ones easy or were they hard? No. No, they were, they were hard as well. Also very hard for me. Um, and the, the best part of this one is, you know, I figure about a week I should be back on schedule, which is just in time to leave again. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a good that's actually a good question. Uh, right. And like in, in the old days and you did too, to some extent, like you go for a week and then you come back for and spend a couple of weeks and you go for a week and then you come back. And like, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I just can't help but wonder, like, were we always was I always just like so addled that I didn't notice? Yeah, I mean, I think I slept. I would say I slept less when I was doing international travel than I am now, for sure. Like, I'm getting more rest. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at the same time, I don't I don't feel like I was ever really on a time zone, especially doing East Coast. Like, That's true, because you were, I mean, you were bouncing three-hour shifts every week. Yeah. So I don't I don't know that it, like, that has definitely been, I've gotten more rest than when I was doing that. I, f- I feel like I would just sleep on the airplane all the time. And now it's, now I get eight hours every night, which is yeah. kind of nice. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. Have, have you talked to other people and what have they said? To a, I mean, a limited extent of just like the other people. I, you know, we had dinner one night in Dubai and it's like, it's sort of one of those, Hey guys, is it just me? And everyone's like, no, it's pretty bad. Um, but it's hard to gauge just how bad for different mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's a little different for everybody, depending on, you know, how lucky you are with sleeping on the plane. So also like I slept on the plane going over. I, I got, I flew Turkish to Istanbul, Boston to Istanbul, which is like a nine and a half hour flight. And I probably slept six and a half or seven of it. Yeah. Um, I was asleep before, like not before I took off, but asleep right when we took off and woke up just in time for breakfast. What time does that land in Istanbul? So it's a 10.30 p.m. departure out of Boston, huh. and it lands in Istanbul at like 3 in the afternoon. Oh, wow. Yeah. So late. Um, I liked that. Um, I, I, I like the late, late departure. The latest departure I can get going out of Boston is great because I can theoretically just get on board and go to sleep. And I did. I Slept very well on that plane, even though it's the what was it? it was a A three thirty with a two 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 layout. I had the mm-hmm. window seat, and like, I guess it sort of mattered that there was a woman sitting next to me, but not at all because I had no need to get up and climb over her because I was asleep. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, um, the only thing I would say that was, you know, mildly off topic here, but trip report of Turkish Airlines food was great on the meals I ate. I didn't eat anything on the way over. Um, I didn't eat the dinner because I was asleep. And I was like, hey, can you save it for me? I can have it later. Like, sure, no problem. It just takes us 20 minutes to warm it up. And I was like, yeah. And then I woke up and it was like breakfast time. I was like, about that lunch I asked you or the dinner I asked you to save. The guy's like, dude, it's going to be a pain in the ass for us to try to get that in the ovens along with all the breakfast we're preparing. Are you sure? And I was like, no, you're right. Fine. And like, I let it go. Yeah. Um, so that was, uh, that was fine. Um, but I, the, the flight from Dubai to Istanbul is like, I still on a triple seven, like still on a wide body. So it's a, you know, proper business class. They don't cater pillows. On board that's, that flight. that's like a six hour flight, right? Uh, four and a half block time. So it's actually not that long, but, uh, like we got an hour and it was an eight thirty AM departure. So maybe they cater the pillows on the 2 AM departure. Yeah. But they didn't on the 8.30 a.m. departure and like quick breakfast service. And then the flight attendants came around and closed all the window bl- window shades. Like they wanted everybody to be asleep, but they didn't but give us pillows. But it's 8.30 in the morning. Oh, I had no problem sleeping. Oh, I don't know. At that point, I'm kind of like. I passed out for two and a half hours of so, four hours. So, so, so now, you, now you know why you've got jet lag. Because I slept at 8.30 in the morning in Dubai, which was midnight Eastern time. I don't think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. Midnight Eastern is a good time to be asleep, Stephen. <laughs> well, was that your goal was to stay on Eastern time? Oh, God, no. Okay. I mean, so then I, it was I, safe. <laughs> well, it was on my flight home. Um, oh, oh, okay. I like, I, and for better or worse, I sort of had to stay on Eastern time. I was, I, mean, I was up at you know, 6.30 every morning to get my act together and be able to get out to the show because the air shows out at the Al Maktoum, the DWC airport, yep. the one that's sort of halfway between Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Yep. And it has its own like semi-permanent facilities unlike Farnborough or Paris where like they build an air show every year mm-hmm. or every other year. Um, they have like some permanent buildings and staging sites for it, but they, it's a little hard to get to. Um, they don't have good transit infrastructure there at all. So it's like sort of, you can take a train halfway and then take a bus or in my case, they actually had a bus from our hotel for the other people, you know, for all the people who are speakers who are all staying at the same hotel that they put us up at. So um, they, they gave us a hotel, but it was still like a 45 minute to an hour ride. And that was if there was no traffic. Uh, one of the days there was a car crash or something on the highway. And like, I took the early bus and was fine, but the late bus took like three hours to get back. Wow. Um, yeah. Dubai is interesting. If when it, you know, it's definitely more developed than last time I was there, which I think was 2017. Well, for that hang on, hang on, hang on. We got to hit our, fo- we got to hit follow up first, buddy. Oh, all right. And then, we'll, and then we'll get to your Dubai show. We, let's not jump ahead. <laughs> Um, I, don't play, I don't play by your rules, man. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about so Seth and uh, Foz and I talked about while you were gone the um, holiday pay for crews and the airline pilots, AA pilots, uh, kind of rejecting that offer. Yeah, um, and there's some other airlines now offering bonuses. Yeah, and I mean, even the week before that, we talked about the AA offers and how the flight attendants were taking it too. So, like, yep. you know, there's there's been a lot of that going on. I think the latest I've seen is Southwest is apparently offering double pay for pilots who pick up open trips, oh, which wow. is basically, okay. uh, you know, so if someone calls out or whatever, and there's a, there's you know unassigned time that needs to be filled. So it's you know a good way to induce people to work extra hours. Yep. Um, so there's that one. And then I thought, I think I saw something about JetBlue paying out a $1,000 bonus to flight attendants if they don't miss any time or something like that for like perfect attendance. So oh, interesting. Also, the, the JetBlue one's especially interesting. Um, you know, American is the pilots in American. And I, I'm sure you guys talked about this. I didn't listen to the last episode yet. Or, and I won't. So let's be honest about that. <laughs> um, but did it, I assume it was about we're not going to let them mandate these things because we want a real contract extension yes. and new rules, right? So exactly. um, 
the interesting thing about the JetBlue one is it comes as they have a new tentative agreement and the flight attendants are getting ready to vote on. Oh, wow. So you may recall a year ago, they had a tentative agreement, right, as you know, sort of the, the worst of COVID hit in terms of layoffs and potential furloughs and that sort of stuff. And they rejected it. Huh. The flight attendants rejected it. And now they've spent another year. They've got a new one. I haven't read it yet. I've got a copy of it. But um, it'll be interesting. Do you think, um, like, is United, I mean, I haven't heard anything about United offering any of these types of incentives. Have you? Have you? I have not. It's 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 funny which ones are and which ones aren't. Like, are, I guess they they have historic data that tells them kind of attendance rates through you know the last couple of years for their crews. Yeah, and it, I you know it's also sort of how aggressive did they get in scheduling? Yeah, right. I mean, part of the challenge has been like, do we have short trips or long trips out and backs or you know hopping across multiple airports? What's the ability to recover? How many, mm-hmm. do we have, how many people do we have in a reserve? How aggressively are we scheduled for hours towards the end of the month? That right? Because this is one of the things that supposedly was a problem with the, I guess the Americans' meltdown on Halloween was that so many of their crew had run out of hours for the month mm-hmm. and couldn't, even if they wanted to pick up extra shifts, couldn't. So you know, knowing you know, and be able to predict some of those things also can factor into it so who knows yeah yeah um why, why is united and I, I i doubt that united is saying oh well, we're not gonna pay more because like i mean i guess at some level they're saying we don't we're not gonna pay more because we don't have to we think we're gonna be fine right and kirby has said over and over again we're gonna be fine because we're recovering more slowly and more you know deliberately than some of the other airlines but who knows yeah yeah, yeah i mean because I, I haven't really heard much from delta either um and i would say they're probably in the same boat as united just kind of recovering they're recovering a yeah. little slower um but yeah, it's it's it'll be weird to see how the holidays go. I was reading the stats today um, that it was the most trans, the most TSA checkpoint uh, check ins, I guess, or you know, security people, Yeah, going through security uh, since I guess the beginning of the pandemic. So, Interesting. I hadn't seen the numbers yet, but I believe it. Yeah, so I'm guessing it's going to be a busy time at the airport, and it's going to be uh, a little chaotic and probably uh, some delays. Hopefully, the weather isn't the cause of them. So, well, I mean, it, you could just have a massive incident at the airport security checkpoint. Yeah, just go ahead and tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Atlanta had some excitement over the weekend. Um, yes, uh, sorry, it looks like Friday was the biggest number. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, two point two four. Two two four two nine five six two two million two hundred forty two thousand nine hundred fifty six passengers screened. So that's a lot. I, I believe that is the highest number pandemic era, and they're expecting basically um, numbers to be roughly equi- or almost equivalent to twenty nineteen Thanksgiving. So wow, wow, but less less well staffed at the airports. So pack your patients, pack your <laughs> yeah. Snickers. Um, yeah, actually, literally pack some food because yeah. some consultants still aren't open. Um, but what, so the, uh, Atlanta incident on Saturday, I, yeah, it was yesterday. yesterday. Yep. So yeah, we're recording this on Sunday. I mean, I don't know what days a week are anymore. Um, <laughs> on Saturday, there were, uh, shots fired at the main security checkpoint. Um, it was originally reported as an active shooter event. Uh, ultimately that was changed to a accidental discharge. Um, and I love that we have different words for these types of things, all of which are guns, you know, gun being fired. Uh, Apparently, someone had a gun. Obviously, someone had a gun in their bag, and when it, the the security screener spotted it on the X ray machine, told the person that they were going to perform an additional check on the bag. Pull, you know, pulled it aside for the secondary screening, and when they unzipped and told the person not to touch anything, and when they unzipped the bag, the guy lunged for it, 
and managed to, I guess, hit the trigger and discharge the weapon. So, so the guy actually went for the gun. Yeah. Probably because he didn't want them to take it. Probably. Well, he's also best, you know, as reported a unlicensed firearm and a convicted felon. So possession is actually illegal. Yeah. So added bonus. Um, and it's one of the airports they were authorities saying they knew or as of last night, I haven't followed up this morning, but they knew who he was, but he was not in custody again yet. So we'll see what happens there. But, um, one per, you know, a couple people injured in the sort of panic slash stampede, but the gun, the bullet lodged in the suitcase and was fine. Uh, but overall, uh, like terminal dump people out on the tarmac apron, whatever you want to call it, like, because they evacuated the terminals <laughs> and then had to like rescreen everything. Yeah. What, uh, what was the total amount of delays? Like, was it, it was pretty bad. I bet 240 delayed flights, only six cancels according to uh, that's the flight aware stats, which are as good as anything else, which in many ways is a testament to Delta's sort of policy of no, we operate all our flights now. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, they just kept them, they they kept them late and, uh, but they operated. Wow. Yeah. So that, you know, in some ways impressive how well it and how quickly it recovered, but yes, there was, uh, so there was it, something. Sorry, let's say there's something else I saw on the internet today. That, like a flight took off with 60 passengers missing because Orlando security was a shit show. Oh, lovely. But that, um, uh, that's just Orlando. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask though. So did the whole airport dump, or was it just cert- a certain terminal? Well, I'm not entirely sure. I know I saw like pictures of people walking around on the apron. Yeah, um, I'm I just wondering. Those like, were, it- I'm interested if I can find them again. I thought that was Terminal D. And there would be no reason to dump D if the main security checkpoint was the only area that was affected. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was thinking. Is like they're still separated areas. So, was, well, I mean, yeah, you can get you can get over to it, but I mean, it's not like it's a quick yeah. tra- transit. So, um, what this guys or was it F? No, it was the main one, which so it was oh, okay. in T, yeah. which you know is the first letter of the alphabet. Yeah, of course. Um, they're making people walk all the way out to F to exit. The plane train wasn't running. Uh, it was it was the whole airport then. If they uh, made him go all the way to F, that's the other side of the airport. Yeah, I think they made him use the other exit because T was locked down. Yeah. Huh. Um, T definitely evacuated. Uh, I can't tell if D did as well, but there were some pictures of that stuff. So yeah, wild. I mean, that's the second I've seen a couple of incidents recently where you know people have brought guns to checkpoints. Uh, and I mean, this is the first one where the gun's actually been fired, but people like forget that they have a weapon. I, I don't know how you forget your handgun and your luggage, uh, but you know, it is what it is. I, it's just, it's crazy to me how many guns people bring to airports. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Like, I mean, Atlanta in 2019 had 300 discovered. So almost one a day. Yeah. Um, what's it, super interesting to me actually, and sort of doing a little bit of research about this, the state of Georgia has a, a law on the books that says, so there's unlicensed guns are legal in Georgia, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, obviously not if you're a felon, so that guy is still going to have some issues. But if you are a, if you have a licensed firearm and you present it at, and it is discovered at a checkpoint mm-hmm. and you immediately like, say, okay, oopsie, and immediately leave the checkpoint with it, you cannot be, uh, held criminally liable for that action. It is is explicitly not a crime. <laughs> they must have had that many people doing this. It's it's just absolutely bizarre to me. Federally, I think it's I think I believe that it's still federally you can be punished, yeah. but you cannot be punished at the state level. Well, didn't we talk about that? There was like a video of a woman getting her gun. I feel like we did. I don't. Maybe we didn't. Uh, there was a woman getting her gun 
confiscated at a checkpoint and they basically said, uh, you know, it's, you get a ticket and you get your gun back. Yeah. Claim check. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, huh? Okay. I mean, yeah, I, guess. I, I remember, yeah, I remember this. I was like concierge gun. Yeah. You, know, you get it like cleaned and oiled also. Like, <laughs> this is like long-term parking. I can get it detailed <laughs> while it's here. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've, tr- I've traveled with a, with a rifle before mm-hmm. and it, it's a pain. I mean, it's yeah. not, it's not easy. Um, I, I just, yeah. Handguns. I just, I can't imagine leaving a handgun in my suitcase. So yeah. anyway, um, Let's talk about uh, migrants and what happened at Barcelona uh, headed to, what was it, uh, Quito? Apparently. Um, and it started in Cairo. I've looked. I can't find it, that flight uh, on any of the tra- It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Obviously, not everything shows up on the tracking platforms. But yep. apparently a flight was operating, uh, was it Cairo, Barcelona, Bogota, Quito? <laughs> and the And it had... I guess, amongst other things, uh, a few dozen Palestinian uh, migrants on it who got off the plane in Barcelona and claimed asylum rather than continuing onward. And it took like two or three days of them sitting in the airport to figure out how it was going to be processed by the end of the week. You know, this happened like on a Monday and then by Friday, folks uh, eventually got that sorted. So um, and they were being, you know, taken care of. But yeah, uh, this is the second time in a couple of weeks we had the incident. I don't know if it was last week or the week before. I guess it was two weeks ago because we talked about it with me on the show, mm-hmm. um, where the the Moroccans landed in Palma de Mallorca or state you know stage. Uh, I think that one was actually a stage diversion to Palma de Mallorca, um, and a bunch of people jumped, you know, claiming an ill passenger, and then a bunch of people uh, jumped out on the plane on the ramp and sort of evacuated into the airport grounds. That one, the follow-up report I've seen says a dozen were uh, apprehended, but at least 10 more were believed to have actually made it. Wow. So, um, yeah. So it's the second in as many, or almost as many weeks um, where people are doing this sort of thing. It's strange days in the international travel world. Yeah. The Cairo flight, I'm just trying to figure it out. So it came from Cairo and then was going to Barcelona and then onward with technical stops in Bogota, Taquito. So it's weird to begin with. Yes. And if it's truly a charter flight with just tech stops being made, why would it have pulled up to a gate and let people off? Yeah. There's a lot. I don't understand. It could have been just, that was the itinerary they had booked. Right, I mean, because there are there's a commercial flight every day from uh, Cairo to Barcelona, or five days a week, something like that. I could check and see. I'm I'm inclined to believe that uh, Barcelona to Quito or to Bogota isn't the most ridiculous idea. Uh, Yeah, certainly. And back in the good old days of, you know, we fly everywhere. Why wouldn't you? But oh, um, so you think it was just reported that way? And could have been misreported. Yeah, and they were Um, just they were booked on the the Barcelona to Uh, Avianca has a Barcelona Bogota nonstop. So. It could have just been a like Egypt Air to Avianca to whatever for that last segment to Quito, not a charter, and the they just didn't reboard. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. Now that I read this, no, police are investigating the charter flight that flew the group into Spain's second largest city. Is what the story says. Um, I'm. It's unclear to me that it's really a charter, but. When the plane landed on Monday, the group left the aircraft and later refused to get back on. They remained at police facilities in the airport for five days and were provided with food and assistance during the processing. 29 had been allowed to formally enter Spain and were being cared for by social services. The requests of the remaining 10 are still being processed. Yeah. So, uh, no matter how they got there, it's 
interesting to me that they're reporting as a charter flight versus, and maybe it was like a, I don't know, something else like a, a group trip and they just misunderstood and got lost in translation or something. But yeah, yeah. yeah, super interesting. Weird. Um, Now let's talk about Dubai. Okay. All right. So Dubai has changed. Dubai has changed since the last time I was there. It's actually not surprisingly given just what we, you know, can sort of see on the news, but it way more built up. Um, The sort of, it used to be like a random building here or there, like on, as you headed out of like the main downtown area out towards uh, the, Al Maktoum Airport and along just sort of essentially down the subway line, the metro line. And now like the individual buildings are truly clusters of neighborhoods. Hmm. So that's nice. Um, I guess. Uh the yeah, I'm still don't really like traveling there that much. Um no. I still find that, you know, it's all imported experiences, which I guess if you have a lot of money and are into that sort of thing is great, but uh that's not my sort of game <laughs> at any level. So um and it was like all the foods is imported, right? They don't grow right. anything there. So yeah. everything gets very expensive very quickly. And there are certainly some luxury options available. I feel like there's no middle class, right? You have, it's either the, poor. Emir- they have the Emirati who are relatively wealthy, um, sort of the expats, but I don't, I may, that must exist somewhere. I'm like sort of have sort of a middle ground. I haven't found them. Um, but then, you, and then you have the uh, migrant workers who are decidedly not. Um, and yeah. It, it, so I don't know. We like we eventually found a kebab shop that I could get dinner from, which was good. And the flavors I was looking for and vaguely, you know, localish, but still even that was, you know, it's, it's not the like $5 train station kebabs that you get in Germany or the $10, you know, 10 euro train station kebabs you get in Germany. It was still pricey. So, yeah, I, you know, honestly, I've never been to Dubai, but everything you're describing sounds like something I would not want to really spend a yeah. lot of time. in. Yeah. It's, it's interesting just in that it is, all this stuff built up in the desert, but also like so much stuff built in the desert. Do I, do I want to go skiing in a shopping mall in the middle of the desert? I, 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 I no, actually I don't <laughs> no. I don't like skiing. So maybe that's why. Um, so, anyway. I mean, so you, you were saying transportation after this airport was a bit of a beast. It, they didn't, so they don't provide transportation to the air show. Uh, so because I was speaking at the show, the organizers provided a bus from our hotel like twice a day. Okay. Um, and then other than that, there is a, there's a few shuttle buses that are provided to help sort of offload traffic. Yeah. And so one of the buses that we had, the first day I was there, I didn't, my shuttle bus wasn't working right, or I didn't have it sorted. They did a, we took the Metro out to Expo 2020. Yep. And then there was a shuttle bus picking up there. Okay. Um, and so it was like 30 minutes on the shot on the Metro and then another 30 ish on the shuttle bus. That's that's a heck of a trip. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is like this is why Dubai has been tipped as like people want it to be one of the first implementations for Hyperloop or something else of like super fast mass transit. I'd settle for just extending the existing metro out there, um, maybe an express train from time to time. Yeah, uh, but it would be at least that would work. And like, I mean, from where I was staying, the regular Dubai metro up to DXB to the main airport would also have been 30 to 40 minutes. Mm. So I was, and I wasn't that far South. I wasn't like, I was in internet city, which is sort of like near Atlantis and the palms yeah, uh, or the palm, whatever that area. So uh, it's, I don't know. It's, there's a lot of sprawl there. And so everything is very spaced out. Um, that's one of the other challenges. It's like, everything is so spread out. So getting like getting between things is kind of a pain. People joke. It's like, it's sort of like Vegas in that, you know, if you have a, in many ways, right? If you have a lot of money, 
it's way more fun um if you're but it's also like isolated clusters of things imagine like you're in one casino and you want to get to the next one you look at the map like oh it's just right there yeah it's not (laughs) (laughs) so i mean this this airport though Almatum, it's it's out there it's also supposedly going to be the new the future yeah it it is the future of dubai air transit um for that to happen they're going to have to someone's gonna have to like uh Migs Field DXB, right? Someone's gonna have to shuffle under and just plow, like plow it under. Yeah, and I don't know how. I can't imagine that actually happens, but uh, maybe they convert it to private jets only. Sort of like Abu Dhabi did that. Like Abu Dhabi had a downtown airport, and it's now private jets only. Is is there com- are there commercial flights already to Almatum? So currently, I don't know of any. Historically, yes. Okay. Um, four years ago, when I went to the air show, like Qatar Airways had a basically almost a shuttle service there. Um, and the flights were empty. So it's the way it's built is like, it's architected that they can continue to grow it as demand and whatever shit traffic shifts there. And so they, they built the first two or three runways, but it's designed for five parallel runways. Um, there's a terminal, but it's all hard stand bus gates and it's designed to eventually have like a hundred something contact gates, Real gates with across four multi, four buildings that have like extensions and outposts within them. It's the sort of master plan for it, um, and new highways and new rail transit connecting to it, as long along with like urban development surrounding it, and office spaces and industrial warehouses and whatever. So it's like it's sort of the uh, aerotropolis concept that was a fun t- word that we talked about a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very well planned, but it, it all depends on sort of the growth happening and traffic shifting there. Right now it's mostly cargo. Gotcha. Okay. Um, there's a lot of cargo ops there. And I mean, now that we talked to you, I mean, you talked about Turkey a little bit, but how would you, I mean, I didn't ask this, but we're going to jump over. Um, what did you think of the new airport? In, in in Istanbul? Yeah. Uh, it is massive. Um, by which I mean, it's very large. Uh, it's like a 15 minute walk from where my plane pulled up to the gate to get to transfer security or immigration. I think <laughs> I was at the furthest gate, but still, I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a long way. Um, it's very pretty. Uh, I like the architecture well enough. Yeah. It's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, an hour on a taxi, 45 minutes in a taxi. I got, I got lucky with no traffic both ways. My buddy, uh, Chris Sloan from Archive has been on the show before. When he went a couple months ago, he warned me he got stuck in traffic and it was like two hours. Jeez. So uh, the, the only you know sort of redeeming value of that is I want to say it was like I took it. I was trying to sort it out and the the wait for the uh, bus the bus get you know there there is a bus that sort of runs. It's like you know the Airport Express or whatever, and it goes right to a few. There's a few of them that go to different locations in town. Uh, the one that I needed to go to Tuxim Square, like originally ran like every 20 minutes, but is now 40 to 50. And so oh. I must have just missed one or whatever. And so it was like a 35 minute wait. And I was tired and the sun was going to start to set because it's, you know, I got in it like by the time I got my bags and everything else, it was like 415 or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to get downtown before that. And so I was like, screw it. and just talked to the cab. The cab was only 25 bucks, maybe. That's not terrible. Maybe yeah. not even that. No, it was 200 lira. It rounded up. It was like 180. And he was like, something, something, something. And I was like, sure. And he ended up punching 200 in the credit card machine. But that's 20 bucks. Yeah. It's like nine and a half to one right now. I wonder, I wonder though, what it would be like if, if it had been traffic, though. Like yeah. I, I don't know how the meter works there. If it's just distance, I mean, or if there's wait time as well. And, you know, as long as you're moving, I mean, I sort of think of like New York City rules. As long as you're moving more than like seven miles an hour, it doesn't. Yeah, that's switch to wait time. So if you drive thirty miles an hour the whole way in, it takes a lot longer, but it's still the same price. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But, cool. I mean, I yeah. was I was just interested in what you thought of it because it's it's a nice airport. The sort of airport operated lounge is a is not very nice. The Turkish lounge is not surprisingly. Um, they carried that over from the old airport. It is you know with the like all the different food stands and whatever. It's very lovely. Um, I but I I didn't see a proper bar. Hmm. Um, that I can recall, I did in the I did see one in one of the terminals. Maybe that was in the that was in the airport operated lounge. I saw a bar, but I didn't see one in the Turkish lounge. So I don't know if it didn't exist, if it wasn't open when I was there, something else. Um, but there was like a there was beer in the coolers next to the soda, like and those were just open and available. And there was wine carts around that had a few different choices of red and white. But I did not see uh, I did not see liquor being served in the Turkish lounge. And again, like everything's a little weird with COVID anyway, so who knows what's yeah. really open. But yeah. um, the only thing I would say that I strongly dislike about the the new airport is that you only get one hour of Wi Fi for free, and you <clears> need to either get it texted to you or swipe your passport at a kiosk. So, and that goes back to the government fully and aggressively monitoring all data transmissions. Um, but one hour free and then it's paid and like not nice for layovers. Yeah, no, no kidding. In the lounge, it was more in the lounge. The airport lounge was four hours and the Turkish lounge, I think was unlimited, but just like it was a weird, annoying thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the little things. It's, I mean, I think we've all kind of gotten used to free Wi-Fi or, you know, free, but look at some ad Wi-Fi. Especially for a major international transit hub where like roaming is going to potentially be very expensive and you know connecting banks are great when they work but like odds that your connection is less than two hours is pretty low for most people yeah yeah especially now well i don't say especially now they're either your connection is 45 minutes or like 12 hours (laughs) yeah overnight yeah yeah i mean i did the 22 hour overnight i had the choice of going straight through and decided i wanted to go to into town for the day yeah um okay so let's talk air show then yeah um what was the what were the big things that you uh, saw and heard and experienced? Yeah, I mean, I I was as I am me. I was mostly focused on the inflight entertainment and connectivity stuff, which isn't as interesting for most people. So I won't get into that. There were a few deals announced. Uh, Saudi Arabian Airlines, Saudia is announced their new stuff for their three twenty one neos, and Iraq Airways announced some new things um, connectivity on board. So you know the types of things that are typical for. Uh, a show. There was really one big order, and that was Indigo Partners, which is the parent company for uh, what, Frontier, Wizz Air, Volaris, and JetSmart. Mm-hmm. And they put in, I guess, like 255 planes, something like 253 planes. And they were the uh, the last massive order uh, in 2019, and that was 400 something planes again, you know, shared across the fleet. And the fact that they added another uh, 250. Almost all A321s, uh, NEOs, is kind of incredible. Are they buying them outright or are they leasing them? Uh, the way the order is announced, they will buy them, whether it becomes a sale, lease, spec transaction somewhere down the line. Mm-hmm. Right? They announce themselves as the sort of company holding the line on the order in the order in yeah. the like assembly line, or whatever it was not a leasing company that announced that it's going to lease a bunch of planes and then figure out where to place them. Gotcha. But it doesn't mean that they won't eventually be owned by a leasing company and leased out. Um, but yeah, it's a massive order there. Like uh, frontier is just over a hundred aircraft today and expects to be 260 by the end of the decade. Wow. Uh, 190, 185, 195 seats on average today expects to be 225 by the end of the decade because <laughs> they're going, they're dropping the 19, 319s are going to 321s and they're configuring their 321s at the, max capacity of 240 seats 
That's wild. Uh, the Wiz Airs get take some of the LR get take some of them as LRs or XLRs. I forget which, but right trying to do some of the more long range stuff. And that's Wiz Air Abu Dhabi um, is up and running since the beginning of this year and has been talked about as sort of using that as a way to connect passengers d- deeper into India or into Africa. And the long range planes will help with that, including getting deeper into, you know, further up into Europe as well. Um, so it's just, it was a very, very large order. It was, but it was like the only major uh, firm order. Well, that's true. There's the second firm order also. Um, that was the major one on the Airbus side. There's a couple other little things. Uh, Akasa, AKASA, I'm not sure how we're saying it, uh, is an Indian startup that has put in an order for 70 something, 737 Max. Um, a mix of the Max 8 and the Max 200 or 8200, depending on um, which version you're reading these days. But so, you know, actually a nice order for Boeing. Uh, it's a startup and who knows how many will actually get taken. But they did have some good news, um, yeah. which is better than the IAG comment later in the week, not at the show, but later in the week saying, oh, um, yeah, we because you remember at the was it Farnborough right after the Max got grounded? IAG announced a big order for like 200 planes. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, well, it's a memorandum of understanding. It's not even a letter of intent, but we, you know, we, we think it'll happen. Now they're saying, yeah, that was a long time ago. We're still, we're, we're, we're talking things over again. So basically that, might, that sounds like that got scrubbed. Wow. Um, so not great news for going on that front, but you know, 70 something planes is at a relatively quiet show is not anything to sneer at. It's still far less than what Airbus pulled off. And it was actually a firm order from a company that is almost certain to take them as opposed to this new startup who, who the heck knows where it'll be with money five years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and any other, like was there, so uh, we, yeah, we had, uh, Emirates announced that it was going to put premium economy on a bunch on 105 planes. Oh, okay. So 50 odd, uh, a 380s will get, so the, fir- the last six 380s delivered, which the last one is either just delivered or coming soon. Um, I mean, it's doing customer acceptance flights out of Hamburg right now. Um, so delivered soon. Those planes will have premium economy on board, the last six A380s. Uh, and with that delivery, the, they're going to be able to offer uh, premium economy seats to JFK, Heathrow, Paris, and Frankfurt on the schedule. Like guaranteed, yeah. It'll be it'll be offered as a product for sale. Today, it's basically surprise and delight only, and it only goes to Heathrow. And, so, um, and it's like, I want to say it's a $300 buy-up is what I think I heard. So for a six to shower flight, like not the worst thing in the world, but yeah. Um, so it's, but it's, so it's going to expand the markets, but the other hundred is going to be 52 A380s and 53 triple sevens, uh, which putting on the triple sevens is a big step forward. It wasn't originally part of the plan or wasn't originally announced. Um, they're gonna, it's on, but it's not on all of them. And then there's the question of like, what, what does the next fleet look like? Um, mm-hmm. And, and they're not starting it until end of next year. No, so it'll the retrofit will start end of next year and run eighteen months. So call it by mid twenty twenty four, the conversions will be complete, and then maybe the triple seven dash nine will have started delivering. Maybe was, was the I mean, do they have premium economy on anything besides the A three eighties that they this, those A three eighties were the first to get premium economy, and so that's that's their product is lack of a of, of a premium economy product for the most yeah. part right now. Wow, that's a that's a long time then to start to wait to start it and then to actually deliver a decent number of planes. I mean, listen, a hundred planes in eighteen months is a pretty quick conversion, right? It's more than one yeah. a week, but also, True. but it's but you're right. Like you know, who knows? Will they be able to commit to? 
specific routes and things and how are they going to allocate the planes and you know there's sort of the the logistics of that fleet planning of trying to you know do we have enough planes to operate you know xyz routes guaranteeing it and what do you do if it fails right if plane goes tech what do you do um so that's an interesting one to me i mean, I, I like that they're adding premium economy i'm a big fan of flying premium economy um when i can because yeah. when i can't get a business class seat um it remains to be seen if they do anything useful um, and rational in putting that into the award charts, which is something that basically every other airline has failed to do. So <laughs> we're talking to you, United, basically. Um, and there's, I'm still trying to chase this down. People won't answer my questions, which makes me think I'm onto something, or they're just you know don't like me. But the there's a press release that the screens for the premium economy are going to support Bluetooth pairing. Oh. The IFE screen. So that's, you know, it's a thing that's happening now. A bunch of airlines are doing it. Um, so, so yay. But the conversion is basically just take out a few rows of economy and put these new premium economy rows in. Theoretically, you don't have to touch any of the other seats on board. And replacing all of those screens just to get Bluetooth pairing would be a pretty expensive proposition. So I'm wondering if we're going to have this super weird situation where premium economy has Bluetooth pairing on those planes and none of the other seats do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be interesting yeah so um freighters right this was this was supposed to be the launch of the 777x freighter and the a350 freighter mm-hmm. uh the 777x did not happen boeing said that they're still considering it which basically means they're still looking for a, a customer uh the 350 got to got a leasing customer during the show for five frames and then another leasing company signed up for another few airplanes like later in the week or right after the show ended. So the A350 freighter is now a real thing and is coming. Uh, I don't recall the timeline on that, but uh, it's real. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you, uh, do you walk around the show? I mean, is that kind of your, like, do you go out and look at all the planes or is that just like one day or one hour of a day that you do that? (laughs) If you could do it all in an hour, that would be amazing. Um, (laughs) So this trip, I was inside the main show hall the first two days almost exclusively i think i went Mm -hmm. outside briefly right when i got there the second day and took a couple pictures but it's like before they had opened up um the third day i was able to get on board a few of the planes i got on the uh acropolis aerospace has the very first acj 320 neo which is the the business jet version of an a320 neo Mm -hmm. Uh, they had it open for exploring and it's like as luxurious as you might think, it's got like two conference rooms up front and like seat like couch areas and then a full king size bed in the back and like a shower and, you know, a bathroom larger than mine in my home. Um, <laughs> I'm barely joking. Um, so, you know, that was a really sweet ride. Uh, Uganda Airlines had the A330-800, A330, which is the smaller A330 Neo. And there's only four customers right now. Uh, and only a handful delivered. That may be the only time I ever get on a Dash 800. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Where are they get, Where are they operating that to? Uh, I'm not sure what's active in the schedule right now. The plan was Heathrow, Dubai, and a couple other mm. sort of regional area, regional runs. Yeah, interesting. Um, it's a really nice plane, quite frankly. Um, I actually was really impressed by that offering. Uh, it's a relatively small business class cabin. It's just the very front zone. Uh got a premium economy and but the coach i sat down in the coach a couple times like oh this is so bad and actually it's because it's like the 242 um mm-hmm. the double wide armrest in the middle and whatever and i like at one point i sat down in it and actually sat down in an economy it's like this feels like this is comfortable enough i guess but it does feel a little tight and but i was thinking i was in premium economy and i was still in economy <laughs> so i was like oh this isn't bad for premium economy but i was right in the regular coach seats um admittedly i was the only person basically on the plane and like no one reclining into me and no crowds and whatever but it uh 
didn't feel that bad. So yeah, yeah. Uh, and just a nice IFE system, Wi-Fi on board, all that stuff. So that was a sl- nice ride. Uh, crawled around a Russian mil like not military, but Russian private helicopter offering uh, the Let Four Ten, the oh, Czech yeah. airplane. Yeah, uh, weird little nineteen seater. Uh, you know, was, some- was there any customers for that? It's some have been delivered. I think um, that one's like it's also like you can put passengers in it, or you can like they can build a. Ver- they actually have a version where like the seats instead of being the moderately uncomfortable, just very narrow seats that are on it today, they have like a quick convert option where it's like almost military style seating that seats that fold up out of the way, mm. and so they can turn, like a cargo. Yeah, ten minute cargo conversion. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's like a search and rescue version of it that can fly for twelve hours with the right like with three people on board and some surveillance hardware. Hmm. Like, so they're they're kind of competing with uh, Pilatus then. Yeah, and the PC twenty four, the jet, the PC twelve, the the prop. Yeah, so this, one, this one's a prop, I believe. Gotcha. Um, but uh, I have to double check that now, so I don't look like too much of an idiot. But um, I'm trying to think what else I got on. There was a few. There was a, a few. Seven, that we like. So uh, I did not get on the triple seven X. The Let four ten is a uh, turboprop. Okay. Uh, the triple seven X, uh, left on day three or overnight, it went over to Doha and then to Frankfurt and it's flying home over the weekend. Huh. So I was planning to get out there on, uh, the third or fourth day to see it. And it's gone. It was gone. Uh, that was a bummer. God, what? 410 has been flying since 1970. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I've heard that, that number, the 410, it's kind of a famous number, yeah. but I couldn't remember from what 1200 so. and 1200 have been built. Yeah. There's plenty of them flying out there out yeah. and about, yeah. um, Nothing quite like trying to like ask the people questions about like, oh, so looking for customers in the United States, huh? Um, <laughs> actually, that was one who's like, no, we have the certification. We just don't have any customers yet. I was like, okay. Um, the Russian helicopter guy, not great at answering questions in English. Uh, oh, no. So it goes. It, I will say one of the things that I find very interesting at the show, uh, all air shows, but this one in particular, is the sheer volume of military. Yeah. Like, the, just the whole like, here are these death machines. Tell us what you think. Would you like to buy one? We take American Express or Visa. Um, there's there's a lot of that going on. One, the largest booth on the show floor was like all these matte black missiles and drones and things. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard that there's like military contractors there for oh, yeah. like offering their services, you know. Um, the U.S. Different- Department of Defense had a massive booth for like their like, it's not consultant, but like their cooperative whatever Mm-hmm. Um, operations. It's a huge. All the shows are huge for defense. It was funny. I was out on the flight line watching the air show. I think the last day. That no, was Wednesday. It was the four, second to last day. And uh, you're out on. You're basically the way it's set up is you basically can walk out to the edge of the parking area on the side of the runway, and then there's a taxiway, and then there's a runway. And so you're out in the sun at two thirty in the afternoon in Dubai. It is not a particularly uh, pleasant <laughs> climate. Certainly not when you're dressed for business attire as we were. And so like we, it's really actually funny to watch people will hide in the shade of all the planes out there. So like you pick a wing or a tail or whatever, and you sit under it. Um, There was a U.S. Marine, I think it's Marine Corps Osprey Mm -hmm. uh, parked at, and it was one of these sort of planes in the back row. So we were hiding out under the Osprey, getting some shade and uh, like the Marines were hanging out around it. And like, I guess one of the guys got bored. And so he started joking around, like someone, people were posing and like leaning against it, like doing model shoots, I guess. And like, are looking, you know, look sexy here against this, you know, death machine. Um, and they, uh, 
He's like, ooh, can you get a picture of me posing like that too? And the two women looked at him like he was crazy. And then he posed and like, okay, sure. And so like I laughed with him, like, just got to have some fun while you're hanging out here stuck in the desert, right? And, he was, and we started chatting and, you know, what did you think? What did you see that's interesting? I'm like, it's really weird to me how many military planes there are. And he's like, yeah, it's really weird to me how many commercial airplanes there are. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, fair play. Um, it's, you know, you're, you're here for your version of it and I'm here for mine. And, you know, it's hard to sort of imagine that those two overlap, but apparently they do. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's always a little disorienting to me. But like the Boeing booth had commercial planes and military planes on it. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, but it was, uh, I think overall, it was a quiet show. Um, I helped present, uh, I moderated panels and sort of chaired the session on 5G and what that's going to do for aviation. And it was nice to hear everybody acknowledge that it's actually not going to really affect anything on the airplane, at least for passengers anytime soon. Mm-hmm which has been a hard point to get across for a while now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so that was nice, but it's, uh, I don't know. There was, there was someone on a different session talking about using artificial intelligence to based on demographics of passengers reassign gates so that people are closer to concessions where they're more likely to spend more money. <laughs> well, the important stuff. Right. Like if you have people who are going, you know, to or from a market where shopping for clothes is more common, put them in front of that section of the plane versus electronics for a different part of the world versus food. I don't know. I, and I was like, uh, OK, I guess that's a thing. I mean, I guess if you're running one of these airports, it's essentially a mall, maybe yeah. it makes well, sense. And they all are. I mean, yeah. Right. But if you if you can get into the data of the duty free, you know, you have the boarding pass and you know exactly what they bought. So, you know, mm-hmm. their nationality, where they were headed and what type of stuff they purchased, you sort of can do that analysis pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the Max. So it's been approved in South Korea? Yep, return to service in South Korea. Uh, scheduled for Monday this week, the 22nd. Uh, India, it was reapproved for service uh, a couple months ago, actually, but they finally started the test flights. So expect that those commercial flights are going to happen soon. And when it does, uh, the first plane's back in the air from SpiceJet, I believe. Uh are going to have Wi-Fi enabled. So that's exciting. Um, and China supposedly has finally acknowledged that it has all the information it needs to approve it. Um, or it is accept- is it, it is, you know, uh, happy with the information Boeing has provided. There was, you know, some very diplomatic term used, but that's the last big one, right? When, when that finally gets reapproved, uh, delivery start up again is the yeah, assumption. I'm sure, I'm sure Boeing is ready to move some of those Chinese carrier airplanes off there. Well, they need to move all the 737 Max and out of storage because they need places to put the 787s. Yeah, yeah. Oops. Oh. <laughs> it's not, not good. Looking good there, right? No, they haven't had a good three years, four years. Uh, <laughs> tell, me about, tell me about Stansted. And- Stansted? So, yeah, this is an interesting one. Norse Atlantic, which is the new uh, long-haul sort of wannabe Norwegian, or doesn't want to be Norwegian, it actually wants to make money, so take that as it will. <laughs> um, but is releasing releasing a bunch of old Norwegian 787s and trying to come up with a way to do that sort of thing. Uh, they are, they got slots at Stansted. They got six daily for summer of next year. Wow. So if you know, there's some discussion about would they come back to Gatwick, could they even get the slots? Would Gatwick try to say that there's really just Norwegian again and like try to collect funds from Norwegian that are missing? Um, I'm not sure how that would have worked, but completely different company. Um, but yeah, uh, it looks like if and the initial routes are going to be from uh, Scandinavia is what's been published. But if they want to sort of start running uh, London service, it looks like Stansted's going to be at least for now. That's what slots were approved. Who knows? For winter or summer 23, uh, 
what will come because you know there's a lot changing in terms of who has what slots and who's operating where and yeah that'll all shift around but yeah norse got those stands dead slots so Crazy. Um, and then Singapore has unveiled their uh, 737 Max seats. Yeah, the new cabin for the Max 8 in Singapore. So they had some that were from Silk Air, yep. right, that had then rolled back up into the mainline operation. So those were just the sort of the Silk Air configuration. Uh, the new stuff is this nicer looking real premium cabin, economy class, whatever. But it's it's the JetBlue Mint seat, okay. right, the original Mint seat, that sort of Thompson Vantage. Two two one one two two one one two two, sort of alternating down the rows with the throne seat. Uh, Singapore is only doing three rows, so it's like two one two down each side, ten seats total. So okay. only the two throne seats on board, and then four or eight regular business class seats. Um, and then so it's ten business, I think one hundred forty four in economy, uh, which isn't a terrible layout, all things yeah. considered. I mean, it's not it's not a ton of seats, but when you consider that the uh, business class seats take up way more space than like domestic first on a U S carrier or way more than Europe is. Um, It's not bad. And yeah, it's a nice looking product. I mean, it's, you know, Singapore airlines, they took the, they took the stock seat and they put a bunch of little uh, finishing touches on it that really make it shine. It's there. It's far from being the only airline putting uh, those flat beds on a single aisle. Yeah. Um, you know, that's been happening for years now, but well, and they don't, I mean, it's not like they fly the seven eighty or seven thirty sevens far, uh, right. Brunei and, you know, places that are two, three hours away. It's not, we're not talking about six hour flights here. So yeah, that, that'll be the interesting. They're, they're calling it a sort of, they, they, uh, sc- not scaled it up, but, uh, sort of shined it up to go to match the mid hall service levels. Yeah. And I think they consider mid hall anything up to eight hours. So, or something in that range. So like that, right there, they want it to look like what those nice, like the 787-10 is a mid-haul plane for them. They want it to sort of feet, look have a similar look and feel, but obviously it's a different seat. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, and it will be used on shorter flights. I imagine it'll be, you know, maybe six hours at most. Yeah. But makes sense. Um, I wanted to talk about San Francisco. International. Okay. So the new connector from T2 to T3 that's behind security is now open. Ooh. So uh, this gives access to the all the Alaska gates, basically. Uh, to the uh, basically, you can go from the United gates all the way to the Alaska gates uh, without leaving security. Presumably, this opens up some lounge access. Yeah, I mean, Centurion, I guess, is over on the United side, and um, you know, the United clubs in the Polaris lounge all on the United side. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's a good, it's good because I've had a few instances where I've wanted to book. Uh, united to Alaska type connections out of San Francisco, mm-hmm. and it's you have to exit security, and it's just you have to plan more time for it. And this, you know, it's a ten minute walk, so uh, this is much nicer. Nice, I'm happy about it. Well, if you're happy, then I mean, that's what matters, right? Absolutely, that's all I care. <laughs> that's all I care about tonight. Oh yeah, uh-huh. no, you care about sleep. That's what you care about. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think that's the show. Uh, we got some extra content coming up for our Patreon subscribers. There's some Billy China Bishop and Canada. Yeah, yeah, China and Canada. Um, and we'll talk about that. So if you'd like to hear that, you can subscribe on Patreon, uh, or you can just follow us on Twitter. Leave comments, leave questions uh, at dots lines or more dots more lines dot com. Thanks for listening and happy travels. Bye bye. Take care.